Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We're thankful that you have given us this opportunity to be in your house, to honor you, to worship you, to give you praise. God, we are nothing without you. So we ask this morning that you take dominion over our attitudes and our minds and our spirits. Help us leave this place better than we came in because we have learned to submit ourselves to you in Jesus name and the church said amen Amen. my wife must have got excited this morning the pulpit's about six inches off center she's prepared kicking stuff praise the Lord you may be seated in his presence if you're able to this morning most of you probably don't remember what she was doing this day 19 years ago but I do I was packing, packing up my entire life to move 351 miles. Don't leave that one mile off. That one mile is important. It was 351 from where we moved. I, I, I paid the U-Haul bill. It was 350. I drove it twice in two days. It was 351 miles from, from Keystone, West Virginia, not from Mama's house, but it was 351 miles, and we were about to move, and uh, 19 years ago, we are about to celebrate our 19th anniversary of moving here. Uh, just in a week, we'll be in that uh, area where we're talking about uh, our, our anniversary, and then we are eight weeks away from moving into our new facility. So, eight more Sundays in this building. I'm going to turn these lights on, because... You love the light, you got to come out of the dark, right? So we, uh, uh, we've got eight more Sundays after today. So we're doing things now, uh, and you, you won't know this because moments pass you so quickly, but you are right now experiencing things that you'll never experience again. I, I've, I've taught my last class in the basement of this church, and I didn't know it when I taught it. I didn't know, I didn't realize it, and that's where I started teaching because we didn't used to have the barn. I moved here, we didn't have parsons, we didn't have a barn, we didn't have a steeple on the building. And I used to teach all kinds of classes, and I was down there mopping a few, a uh, few uh, weeks ago. I was mopping the, the fellowship hall, and I said, this is the last time I'll have, probably have to mop this fellowship hall. And then I started thinking about all the other things I've done down there for the last time. I've taught my last class there. I've prayed uh, for people the last time in the fellowship hall, because we, I hardly ever go down there anymore. So you're experiencing things now for the very last time. We've had our last dinner here on this grounds that we know of for the last time. And you don't know sometimes that things happen for the last time until you look back and say, oh, that was the last time we did that. So that's why the Lord teaches us to number our days. Pay attention to what you're doing and make the most out of every moment. But so often we live either vicariously through the past or we're always looking ahead to the future that we miss the moment that we're living in right now. But the moment is important. Your moment is important because breakthroughs happen in a moment. God shows up suddenly. He does earth-shaking, earth-shattering, life-altering things in an instant. And I believe somebody's instant will be here today. That's why I'm setting this up the way I am. Because I have preached, now I think this is week 13. This is 12 or 13. I've lost count. In this series, this is the last sermon in this series. And I have preached this entire series to get to this sermon. And this sermon is going to unlock for somebody the reason that your life in certain areas just don't seem to function. 
There are certain things in your life that just doesn't work the way that you want it to and the way that you pray it would. So I feel the spirit of a teacher this morning. I've done this several times during this series. I'm going to try to stay chained to this pulpit as much as I can because I want to get this truth to you. I've prayed over it every way I know how to pray over it. I've asked God to intervene. I've got so much information and not enough time to give it to you all. So I'm going to have to try to uh, pick out the highlights because I honestly believe that if you'll, if you'll absorb this word this morning, your instant, your moment can be right now. And you'll look back on today and say, that was the last time I felt that way. That was the last day I was locked in depression. That was the last moment that my family felt like it was falling apart. That Sunday, that word, that name of God set me free. And if you can receive that right now, can you put your hands together and tell God you're ready for that? My God in heaven, I feel the Spirit on me. I want to talk to you this morning. We're going to deal with Leviticus chapter 20, if you have your Bibles. Leviticus chapter 20, and this is my last series, or my, my last sermon in the series called Under God. Now, I remember years ago, this was over a decade ago, I was at a funeral home, and I was talking to a gentleman that didn't go to my church, but he went to church in the area, and, and I was talking to him about his own health issues. He'd been sick for a while. And I remember standing in Steel and Wolf Funeral Home talking to him, and I asked him if he'd been to the doctor lately, and he said, yes. And I asked him, what did the doctor say about his condition? And he told me all the things that the doctor said he needed to do. And I said, well, are you doing it? He said, no. And I said, well, what did you do? And he said, I changed doctors. Because he didn't like what the doctor said, he switched doctors. And it occurred to me back then, and it still occurs to me today, that we do that with God sometimes. When we don't like what God says and what He prescribes, we can't fix it the way He wants it fixed, so we will switch God's. We will look for other instruction. We will seek other prescriptions. We want to go to a God who's a little more convenient. Maybe, maybe we search for a God that's a little more flexible. Because it seems to me that sometimes God is just a little too rigid. I mean, God lays down the law and tells us to do things a certain way, and there's no give in Him. And, and, and the problem that we run into is when we think we know more than He does. So I want to talk to you this morning about Israel one more time. Israel has come out or exited Egypt. That's where we get the name Exodus. And the people of God have exited Egypt and they're headed toward their blessing. We see them get there in the book of Numbers. So we have Exodus and Numbers. We have the coming out and deposited into their blessing. And right between those two things... Sandwiched between Exodus and Numbers is this book called Leviticus. Leviticus means law. And I do not think it's, it's a mistake that God put your deliverance and your miracle separated by His law. I don't think that it's a mistake that God said, I'll bring you out and I'll bring you in, but somewhere in between, you're going to have to do something. 
I'm going to set you free. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that Satan loses his grip on you. And then I'm going to give you everything that I promised you. A land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to give you sunshine and rainbows. I'm going to give you prosperity beyond your wildest imagination. But in between the two, you're going to have to straighten up. You're going to have to learn some obedience in order to receive the multitude of blessings I have for you. So in Leviticus chapter 20, we're going to read two verses to begin with, verse 7 and 8. And I want you to pay attention to something because I'm going to retouch on these coming back to them in a moment. Leviticus 20 and verse 7 says, Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I, the Lord God, I am the Lord your God. I'm going to read that again before we move on. Consecrate or sanctify yourself. Do you see that? Move to verse 8. Verse 8 he says, And you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Jehovah Mikadesh. Jehovah Mikadesh, the Lord who sanctifies. Now, God really wants us to know this name for Him, and it is important that we learn His name because the reason that, that you are struggling in some areas of your life is due to this thing called sanctification. Now, this is one of those church words that we think we understand, and we think it means I don't do no wrong. But I want you to understand that I have areas of my life that are sanctified. And I have other areas of my life that are not as sanctified. I'm going to teach you something this morning because living a sanctified life doesn't mean I wear a tie and a suit. Wearing a, having a sanctified life does not mean that when I die, somebody says real nice things about me. Living a sanctified life does not have anything to do with having my name in a church register or whether or not people like me who live on the street with me. Living a sanctified life is a word called consecration. And God wants us to know that if we want to have life and have it more abundantly, we're going to have to learn how to sanctify ourselves. The word sanctified simply means to separate, to set apart. It is referenced in other words like holy and consecration and sacred. Something becomes sanctified when it is placed away from other things that are common. It's separated from the ordinary. It is made different than the, and unique. When I was a kid... There was a mother that, uh, there was a woman that my mother would visit during the day. Now, when I grew up, mothers stayed home predominantly, at least in our neck of the woods. Mothers stayed home and raised the kids. So I was home in the summertime with my mother. So when my mother went somewhere, I was on the drug program. I got drugged there and back. And there was this woman that my mother would go and visit. Her house smelled like mothballs. And she was a friend of my mother's, but she was much older than my mother. Though my mother had me late in life and was an old mother, she was older than my mother. And my mother would go over there, and this woman had two living rooms. And one of them I was allowed to play in, and the other one was a sanctified living room. And the reason it was sanctified, because all the furniture in there was covered in plastic. 
And if me and any of the other neighborhood kids was in her house, we weren't allowed to play in there because we got told that it was for special guests. And guess who was never special? Yours truly. So all through the Bible, God calls us to make things holy, which means to set them apart. Why did He tell them about sanctification as He was making their way out of Egypt and into the promised land. Stay with me. Don't miss this, okay? I'm about to teach you something. I'm going to be dropping nuggets into your spirit right now that's going to change your life. Are you ready for this? Can you receive this? Okay, so we have them coming out of Egypt. Say redemption. And they're headed toward the promised land. Say destiny. So between redemption and destiny, God gives them law. Between redemption And destiny, he makes them sanctify themselves. Verse 22, you shall therefore keep my statutes and all my judgments and do them. (laughs) You don't just come to church and shout about them. You do them that the land... Ooh, I've never seen this before. Can, can I tell you that after all these years of preaching this word, I still get shook sometimes? I, I, I was preparing for this message, and I never have seen this before. I've never seen this before. The land that I'm bringing you to to dwell will not spew or vomit you out. Here's what he said. He said, I don't want my promised land to spit you out. In other words, evidently you can make it all the way to your destiny. But if you didn't get there the right way, your destiny can spit you out. You can work your whole life trying to serve God and go to church and do the right things, but if you don't get the right stuff in between redemption and destiny, by the time you get to destiny, destiny will throw you out. Because you didn't do the consecration work on your way. I just got goosebumps on me because I know where I'm going with this. you got to understand that when you get sanctified, every area of your life gets set apart to be special unto God. Verse 23 says, And you shall not walk in the manners or the statutes of the nation that I am casting out before you. For they commit all these things, and therefore I abhor them. I hate them is a strong word, but he said, I abhor them, I hate them. Verse 24 says, But I have said unto you, You shall inherit their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that flows with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. This is Jehovah Mekadesh. And you shall be holy unto me. This is verse 26. For I the Lord am holy and have severed you from other people that you should be mine. He says when you get to the promised land, there's going to be some people there. When you get to your destiny, you're going to be around other folk. And when you get there... I want you to realize that they do not live the way I want you to live. They don't function by my standards. They don't follow my instructions. 
They don't see the world the way I see the world. He said, when, I, when you get to your destiny, you're not going to be an island. I'm going to have you surrounded by folk that just because you are in your destiny, you're going to be surrounded by people who think different and look different and walk different and talk different and believe in other gods. They will live by their own set of rules. So by the time you get there, I want you to know what my rules are because I don't want you to listen to what their rules are. So when you get there, their standards won't be your standards. You won't let their perspective become your perspective. Even though you're going to be surrounded by them, you do not belong to them. They belong to me and you belong to me. Somebody give God some praise in this house now here's what appears to be a contradiction are you ready jump back to verse 7 and 8 remember I told you I was coming back to it I, I, when I tell you I'm coming back to it I'm coming back to it we, it appears that we have a contradiction because in verse 8 he tells us his name and in verse 8 he says I am the Lord who sanctifies you but in verse 7 he said sanctify yourself Now, I'm not a mathematician, but I know seven is before eight. In other words, if I want God to do some sanctifying, I'm going to have to be willing to do some sanctifying in order to get God involved in the process. In other words, God responds to my decision to become consecrated. He don't make me make a decision. He doesn't force my freedom. You will never experience the power of Him driving things out of your life until He sees that you are done with it. We asking God to take stuff away from us that we ain't done fooling with yet. And we wonder why God hasn't sanctified us. Why He hasn't consecrated us. And we sleeping with it. We're pandering to it. We're entertaining it. I want God to change my attitude. Then stop being so mean. Stop getting offended over everything that comes your way. I want God to sanctify my marriage. Quit looking at him like you a junkyard dog. Fixing breakfast instead of trying to kill him in his sleep. Seven comes before eight. Being sanctified means that you are special. That means your family is special. Your marriage is special. Your finances are special. Your personality, your attitude, your health should be special. And special things get special treatment. But the benefits of His sanctifying work is tied to your decision of setting yourself apart and becoming consecrated. I remember when Hannah was little. And we were at the pumpkin farm. And Hannah had a little doll that during that season of her life, it was her favorite doll. And somehow, while she was in the stroller, that baby doll's head came off. It was then I realized Hannah might not be ever giving me no grandbabies. And Hannah was crying because her favorite doll was now headless. And I felt like it probably snapped off. It didn't look broke. It could probably snap back on. I think I can fix it. But Hannah didn't want to let go of her. She was crying. And she was holding on to her doll. She gave me the head. 
But she was holding on to her doll and didn't want to give me the doll. And I said, Hannah, honey, if you won't give it to me, I can't fix it. And through my life and through your life, how many times has God looked down at you and said, Honey, if you won't give it to me, I can't fix it. You're holding on to broke things. You're holding on to dysfunctional things. You're holding on to things that you have no business holding on to. And I can fix it because I have a way to do it. But if you're going to hold on to it, I can't get involved in the process. Until you put it in my hand, I am not able to give you the power to heal what is broken. We've got so many things in our life that if we just learned how to give it to Him, consecrate, consecrate it, it would be whole and healed and a miracle would come our way. But He won't get involved with it until He's sure you're finished with it. If there's no consecrating yourself, then this name of God doesn't apply to you. Because you don't see his special power and his special deliverance and his special presence that this name invokes because verse 7 comes before verse 8. And when you resist consecration, you lose the experience of sanctification. Being set apart is special. And this special thing that we sing about, we don't experience it because we have brought into our worldview the worldview of the world. And God knew that unless we, like Israel, set ourselves apart, that we would leave God and go with the culture and think like they think and say what they say and live how they live. Let me give it to you like this. There's buildings all over town that are consecrated for certain purposes. As a matter of fact, there's buildings all over town that are set apart for anybody who wants to go there and lose some weight or get in better shape. Now, they aren't restaurants. Oh, oh no. They're not pharmacies because they don't have no magic pills. They got these machines that hum and whine, and the people that use them do too. And the place smells funny and there's always a lot of grunting going on. And it's consecrated. You don't go there to get your taxes done. You, you don't go there seeking help for your, for your uh, high blood pressure. You go there for one reason. And you go there because somebody did the work and paid the price to have a sanctified area that is uniquely set apart for people who are looking to uh, increase their physical well-being. However, just having that place don't help me. Because the people have to consecrate themselves to use the facility that has been provided or the facility is of no benefit to you. In other words, it's not that wholeness and well-being is not available or that it doesn't work. It's just that it's early and I don't want to go. I don't like to sweat and I like eating ding-dongs. I would rather eat chocolate cake than run on a treadmill. Hello, my name's Albert and I'm an addict. I like donuts more than I like lifting weights and doing sit-ups. 
I felt like falling asleep eating potato chips three nights this week. I didn't feel like going to the gym. I feel like having a balanced diet means I got a donut in each hand. Now, having the facility does not help me unless I consecrate myself to it. So just because the machines are there and the lights are on, it won't help me in the least unless I do something. Can somebody say amen if you understand where I'm going with this? So the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 that we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus did the work for us. He bought the facility. He turned the lights on. He set the machines up. He paid the price, but it's up to us to go use the equipment. It's been bought and paid for. But what you need to know is that God won't let you benefit from it unless you make a decision to go to it. Consecrate yourself, and then you get to see His name. Then you'll see Him making changes in your life. You know what I've noticed? I've been on a lot of diets in my life. I've noticed that about week five, something happens to me if I stop eating carbs and I stop eating sugar. About week five, my appetite changes. I don't want to eat the stuff that I used to eat anymore. I, I, I have, I, I'm now, it's not, not that I'm craving lettuce, but I don't wait, I don't drive by Gus's goodies and my truck just tries to turn in all by itself anymore. Okay, because I don't want to eat the bad stuff as badly as I used to. But hear me, I'm about to drop truth on you. My feelings only changed after I made a decision. A lot of times we want to feel different before we decide different. So in the Bible, it teaches us that if we consecrate ourselves, then God changes how we feel. But a lot of times we have to stay no to things that we want to say yes to until we do it long enough and God takes the yes out of us. Oh, it got quiet in here. We're trying to get God to take the yes out of us and we haven't said no yet. One of the things the doctor asks you when you tell him you're not feeling well is, how's your appetite? Because the doctor knows... If you don't have an appetite, something's wrong with you. The Bible says, blessed is he who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. So when you see a lack of hunger in your life for righteousness, you, my friend, are spiritually sick. Christians are supposed to have an appetite for things that are righteous. And you know you have an appetite for it because you hurt when you don't get it. So when you become comfortable with doing stuff God don't want you to do, can I tell you that you are hungry for the wrong things? When you are hungry, friend, you'll find food. You'll go in the cabinets and eat stuff you say you don't even like if you get hungry enough because your body is demanding that it gets fed. And you'll go in the cabinet and eat tuna fish. You ain't eat tuna fish since 1979. You hate tuna fish. But if it's the only thing in the house and you can't go get nothing and DoorDash is busted and you can't get no you will eat some tuna fish because you will eat what you don't like and if you don't hunger for righteousness make no mistake your spirit is hungry for something and you will eat the wrong stuff if you don't hunger for the right stuff I'm not going to get no help this morning we know we are in trouble when the first question we ask is what does everybody else think instead of what does God think 
When our motivation behind what we want is what we want without ever asking God what He wants. You remember when your kids would come home from school and they'd say, well, uh, Johnny's mommy says. You remember that? Maybe some of you still live through that. They'll come home and they say, well, all the other parents. Was me and my wife the only ones that ever went through that? They come home and they say, hey, we're going to do this. And I say, I don't think you are. Well, all the other parents, and you introduce yourself. Do you ever remember introducing yourself to your kids? Well, I'm not their mother. I am your. Does anybody know where I'm going with this? I am your mother. And the reason you introduce yourself is because you want them to realize you are the standard of living for their life. Johnny's mama has no relevance over here in this kingdom because in this kingdom, we are run by a theocracy and I am her and she is me. And I want you to understand that what they do has no relevance because I'm let me introduce you to the boss around here. Because if you, you want them to know if you're going to live in my house, we got one standard, and I just said it. I told my kids growing up, I haven't had to tell Hannah yet. I say yet. But I do remember distinctly telling the other two. I don't care how you choose to talk to your mother, but that woman is my wife. And you ain't going to talk to my wife like that. <laughs> you might badmouth your mother. You might want to say things to your mother, but I guarantee you I'm not going to stand here and watch you do it to my wife. You get sideways with her. There's a bear coming around the corner. And he is I and I am him. So you introduce yourself to your children from time to time because you want to reestablish what is the standard in their life. We're quick to say things like, I think, or what I believe, without ever seeing if it lines up with a divine perspective. You know what happens if I start snacking on cakes and pies when I'm dieting? I think, you know what, these really ain't as good as they used to be. But the problem is, if I start eating a bunch of cakes and donuts, I don't feel like eating real food. Now, now listen, technically, you can go to Gus's Goodies and get, technically, you can go there and get food. Technically, that thing is food. However, if you're trying to get nutritional value, it's as wrong as two left shoes. Okay, it's right from a sweetness standpoint. It's right from a pleasure standpoint. But it is wrong from a nutritional standpoint. The problem is, if you eat enough of it, it will kill the desire for the real thing. Because what donuts do is it gives you taste without nutrition. And what the world offers is food for your spirit that gives you taste satisfaction, but is not nutritional. I believe that's what the world is doing, chasing taste without the benefits. And if you listen to their ideas long enough, you'll start getting a sweet tooth for them too. And it, the world will offer you snack food. And they'll give you stuff to nibble on all day long. And they'll give you stuff uh, every day that as long as, as, as you will listen to it, you will stop hungering for real food righteousness that's why you'd rather watch tv than read your bible you'd rather talk to people who agree with everything you're saying than talk to god because he may stretch you straight our hunger for righteousness is gone because we've been snacking for so long out of the world's cupboards oh it's quiet in here 
God's perspectives have been removed from schools and from courthouses and places of employment, and we scream about it. The church screams every time they take the Ten Commandments down off of courthouse walls. But can I tell you that I'm afraid he's been removed from Christians' lives too. That a long time before we took prayer out of school, Christians lost prayer at home. I'm, I'm not, listen, I'm not afraid of them taking the Ten Commandments down from post office. I'm deathly afraid of Christians who don't live by the Ten Commandments when they show up to church every Sunday. We have become so secular in our thinking, we want what the world has, and we never stop to ask God if we can have it. Our worldviews are changing every moment of the day. And what God would call wrong, we say, ah, oh, that's not so bad. And I'm not talking about preachers wearing suits. I, I, that, 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 was, that was an old-fashioned way for us to try to set standards for people to live by, but really never change the heart in the first place. What I am talking about is that we are, we are trying to fundamentally change what God's Word says just so we can fit in with folks that we was never designed to fit in with in the first place. Here in this country, we are contemplating what the definition of a family is because they are demanding that we change the dynamics and the structure of what families are so that two daddies can be in a family and two mommies can be in a family and they want it to be accepted. And the church is finding ways to open the door and, and say, well, Paul was this and Paul was that and Jesus never said this. All the while, knowing down deep in our knower, we have to know that God meant what He said and said what he meant and we're trying to fit in with folk that we was never supposed to fit in with and right doesn't want to offend wrong but wrong has no problem offending right we got all these people that have absolutely no qualms about coming against the church and telling the church to get straight and get telling the church to get right and telling the church to come over to our side and we don't want to offend anybody and we don't want to make anybody mad. All the while, they don't care about offending you at all. They don't care about shutting our doors. They don't care about taking our 501c3 uh, tax status. They don't care about attacking us. But we want to be inclusive. What if God never intended for us to be inclusive? What if God intended for us to be the standard and instead of them saying, come over to our side, we're supposed to be over here saying, no, we're on the side of right over here. This is where you need to come to. Sanctify yourselves. And then God gets involved in the process. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, For it is God that worketh in you both the will and to do of His good pleasure. You want to know why you was created? It's for His pleasure. You ain't supposed to be pleasing the world. You're not supposed to be making them happy. You're supposed to be making Him happy. And whatever your hands find to do, do it as unto the Lord. Sanctification means set apart. That means from sin to righteousness. It is, it is from wrong to right. It is, I may not fit in with them, but as long as I fit in with him, I'm going to call it a good day. So, so it is first, sanctification is first an inside thing. You were created for his good pleasure. 1 Peter 3 and 15 says, tells us exactly how to do it. Sanctify the Lord God. Not by coming to church on Sunday. 
if you want to know, if you want to know how to do the rest of this verse, you got to do the first of this verse. Sanctify the Lord. You get right before you try to make everybody else right. It says, make the Lord sanctified in your heart, and then you can be ready to give a defense to everybody that asks you a reason for the hope that's in you. You can't give a reason until you're sanctified. Maybe the reason people are asking you, I thought you were saved, is because you ain't acting like it. They are wanting to see something real, and they ain't found it in you yet. I thought you went to church every Sunday. I thought you was a missionary so-and-so. I thought you was an evangelist such and much. And here, and you wonder why they're asking all these questions about you? The internal decision starts in external change. I have to set my life and keep my life to only the things that brings God closer to me. And I won't allow my heart to entertain things that are outside of God's will and God's character. More than I want the things of the world, I want to be special to God. I want His sanctifying work in my life. Notice this is how they were to live in the land. This was not how they were supposed to have church in the land. This was how they were supposed to live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It wasn't just when they went to church. So this is not just a Sunday decision. There's a chicken and a pig standing outside of a butcher shop. And there's a sign hanging outside that says, We pay cash. For eggs, ham, and bacon. The chicken says, I'm in. Pig says, easy for you to say. Because to you, it's just a contribution. To me, it's total commitment. See, 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 uh, see uh, uh, <laughs> some people are trying to live on God's blessing, but they're only making contribution. They're not totally committed. They're trying to give an egg here, an egg there, here an egg, there an egg, everywhere an egg, everywhere an egg, egg. See, see, see we're offering God sun, uh, Sunday morning sunny side up eggs, and God's coming to us saying, where's the sausage? Where's them pork chops? Where's them chitlins? You can't get there from here unless you go by. Yeah, God, only God can love them chitlins. You want to know what the benefit is? You want, you want to know why I've been preaching this all morning? I, I, 34 minutes to get to the end of this. And the end of this is Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Now before I read this verse, and I know it's already up there. Some of you want to walk in the truth of this scripture, but you're not willing to sanctify the place that needs to be sanctified first. Because in order for you to have peace with all men... You pray about God changing the other person. But God wants to sanctify your heart before He ever messes with them. Pursue peace with all people and holiness. Because without it, do you know why? Do you know I've been in church all these years, been in Pentecostal churches all these years. And I keep hearing preachers over and over and over and over and over through the years say, without holiness, you can't see God. Without holiness, you can't see Because that's good preaching. Because we're holy people. Oh, my God. When I was coming up, the women had buns and dresses down to here and sleeves down to here. And all the men dressed right. And all the women. Oh, my God. We had it going on. We were holiness people. But I ain't never heard a preacher preach the first part of this verse. That it's not just holiness which means I got the right tie and I belong to the right church 
and I dress right. What about that first part? Where I'm supposed to live in peace with folks. And if I don't live in peace with people, I can't see his face either. But I don't ever hear no preachers talking about this. Oh, we talk about the holiness because we're holiness people. We believe in holiness. Well, friends, sometimes in order to get through holiness, you got to trade through a whole lot of folk that don't like you. There are people in this life that you don't get along with, that you don't agree with, and they're surrounding you. And God said, when I bring you into your destiny, you're going to be surrounded by people who don't have your character, and they don't have your integrity, and they don't have your God worship, and they don't love what you love, and they don't like what you like, and they don't hunger for what you hunger for. But you don't belong to them. You belong to me. So when you come into their presence, know that they ain't heading where you're heading, but don't change for them. Live in peace with all people, but don't let them be your standard. So we can be peaceful with people and still see the face of God. Let me tell you, you don't just need to see the Lord when you get to heaven. You need to see Him working in your life right now. That's why you need to know who Jehovah Mekadesh is. Because seeing God working out your mess right now is just as important as seeing Him when you get to heaven. You want to see God work out in your prayer life. You want to see God work out in your circumstances. See Him turn something around in your house. Turn something around in your kid's life. You keep saying, I pray that God will change me. And God said, if you consecrate yourself first, then I will change you. But verse 7 still comes before verse 8 and you got to set yourself apart to me before I can work in you. In a general sense, God is everywhere because He's omnipresent. But in experience, He is revealed to those who are with Him. There's a lot of folk that may have Him with them, but they can't locate Him because He lives in the light and they're over here hiding in the darkness. So powerful is this principle that Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that a believing wife can sanctify her husband. Do you know the Bible says that? It says if your husband's an unbeliever and you are sanctified, you can sanctify him. It says that your kids are protected by your sanctification. So this generation needs, this generation of wild, buck wild kids They need sanctified parents. See, we're praying about our kids and sometimes God's saying, you want me to touch them? I'll touch you and you will touch them. But we don't want to talk about that. God's saying, "You you want me to touch your kids? Let me touch you. And your sanctification will spread to the child. Sanctified youth pastors, sanctified pastors, sanctified parents, sanctified grandparents. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11 is one of my favorite scriptures the older I get. It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You know what that means? I'm going to decipher that for you. Hard now is easy later. Easy now is hard later. You get to choose when you do the hard. You can do the hard work of discipline now and have it easy later, or you can have it easy now and hard's going to be around the corner. If you want your finances sanctified, the Bible tells you how to do it. The Bible says be a faithful tither. 
He will sanctify your tithes. But He won't sanctify your money unless He first gets you sanctified. So when you become a faithful tither, He says, okay, now I'll do the work on the back end. But you had to do your work first. In Haggai's day, the people were wanting God to help him, help them build their houses. And God comes along and says, how is it a time for you to be building your house and God's house is a dump? He says, if you want your house blessed, you better be a blessing to my house first. He said, the temple is not being built, but you want me to build your house? I'll build your house after you show me that you can sanctify yourself to build my house. The Bible says, if you want friends, sanctify yourself. Be friendly. Stop looking like you was baptized in vinegar and spent the night upside down in a post hole. If you want friends, sanctify your attitude. Be friendly. Smile. It won't break your face. Be friendly. Because when you're friendly, you are sanctifying your ability to handle the blessing of friendship. The Bible says that if you want sanctified children, you got to do the work first. Train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they won't depart from it. Uh-huh. you got to sanctify them early because if you're sanctifying them now, you're sanctifying them for later when they lose spiritual battles. And when they start losing spiritual battles, something starts pushing them through because they will know their way back to God. You can't drag them, but because you taught them, they know their way back to God. You know how many people are sitting in church pews every Sunday trying to get relationships to work, but they're trying to do it their way instead of sanctifying it? And they wonder why that relationship's always a struggle. It's a struggle because you're not supposed to be dwelling with them people. The Bible said when you get to your destiny, your destiny will spit you out if you didn't consecrate yourself before you got there. So the question is, do you want to be common? Do you want to be profane? Or do you want to be special? Because God's going to let all three uh, people live together. Dwell together. He's going to let the common, the profane, and the sanctified all live together. You got to decide which one you want to be. Years and years ago, back when Jared was still in, in the house and Hannah was little, they uh, they do what bro- they did what brothers and sisters often do. They get on each other's nerves. And they keep getting on each other's nerves until they get on my nerves. And I remember very distinctly one time we were leaving church and going out to eat. And Hannah had gotten some Easter candy from downstairs in children's church. And Jared's doing what Jared likes to do. And he's picking on his sister and getting on her nerves. And he says, I'm going to take your candy. And I've raised two and going on the third one at that point. I've learned a long time ago, if they ain't dead, just don't. I don't have the energy to just get invested in everything. So, so ain't, nobody, ain't no blood yet. Nobody killing nobody. I'm going to let them sort this whole candy issue out amongst themselves. I hear Jared say, I'm going to take your candy. You know what my Hannah did? She's like five years old. She took that bag of candy, ripped the whole thing open, and one by one started licking all that candy. 
tore the whole top of that bag off and was taking each one of them peeps out and licking each one of them peeps and putting them back in the box. You know what she was doing? She was sanctifying them. She was setting setting them peeps apart for herself and was not going to let nobody else, no harm going to come to them peeps because nobody else wanted it. Jared, he lost his interest after she had sanctified them peeps for herself. God is interested in healing you. He's interested. I've preached this entire series to get you to the point to help you understand that God loves you so much, He wants you to have healthy relationships. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to look different than the world does. The world has lost their ever-loving mind since COVID set in. They're mean. They're hateful. They have no patience. They've, they've lost compassion with each other. They're just losing their mind. He doesn't want you to look like that. He wants you to have hope inside of you. He wants you to have joy, unspeakable and full of glory. He wants to heal your family. Yes, He does. Listen, as badly as you want your family together, it doesn't compare to how badly God wants your family together. He wants your backslidden children to come home worse than you do. He wants the prodigals to come back. He desires to see you healthy and well and prosperous. But he says, I'm not going to get involved in it until you're done with it. And I'll see that you're done with it when you sanctify it. So today on the altar, some of us need to leave our attitudes. Today on the altar, some of us need to leave our opinions. Today on the altar, some of us need to leave our family that we have been trying to straighten out. The work that we have been trying to do. And instead, we just need to say, God, I can't do this. I give it to you. There's a reason, and I don't even have time to get into it. There's a reason in the Old Testament that offerings were lifted up to the Lord. Because it signified that I'm beneath this. I I don't have the power to bring this to pass. So I offer something to you, the power that can. Jehovah Mekadesh. He doesn't just sanctify you and make you start dressing different. He doesn't do that at all. He sanctifies the every area of your life and makes it better. I came into this year with a theme, lighten up. I didn't have any idea what this year was going to hold for me. Right off the bat, coming right out of the gate, I got hit sideways and then corona and And this whole year, I I get up every day and I rehearse, lighten up. Lighten up. I've had to change me because if I change me, then he gets involved. Verse 7 comes before verse 8. If I sanctify it, then he will. But he won't get done. He won't touch it until I'm finished with it. If you don't give it to me, I can't fix it. So as we leave and part ways this morning, take this word with you. Jehovah Mekadesh wants to sanctify every area of your life. He wants to heal the brokenhearted. He wants to mend up all the things that are leaking out of you, your joy, your peace. He wants all those things that are leaking out of you that you're supposed to be full of. He wants to fix all of that, but he won't get involved in it until he sees that you're finished with it. You sanctify it 
and then he will. Amen? Amen. Amen. This was good preaching, preacher. (laughs) And if I had an hour and a half to preach it, I would have threw down this morning. But time don't give it to me anymore. It's 10.15. I'm going to get in trouble as it is. God bless you. I love you. Promise of victory.